Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Right. I love an audience. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good stuff. Oh, I did that reading from Paul this morning. If anyone transgress, bust the cap in them, right? If somebody sins against you, thump them as hard as you can. Right? Just hit them where it hurts. Don't let them walk on you. Get your revenge. That's what Jesus says, right? right? Isn't that kind of how we feel, though? That person's a jerk. I'll show them what a jerk can be like. That person's so mean to everyone. Wait till I get my turn. Okay? I'll show them. Isn't that kind of how we kind of feel like? And sometimes we feel like we're justified. Like, if somebody doesn't show them what an awesome person they are by making them feel some pain, they'll never learn. And I'm just a fool to do it. <laughs> and you know, well, we do have forgiveness, so I could just ask for forgiveness after I've done what I know I shouldn't do. Right? Sitting with a high hand, as they call it. Okay, yeah. Um, the lesson from, from Paul. Again, he's talking to this community. Um, this wonderful group of people known as the Galatians talking to the wonderful community, trying to give them some last words as he's finishing them. You know it's really important because he takes the pen or the pencil in his own hand and he says, see with what large letters I'm writing this. You know, this is so important I'm writing it myself instead of having a scribe do it. So pay attention here. If somebody transgresses, approach them with gentleness. With gentleness. Because remember, you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. If you're trying to fix trouble by being aggressive and violent, what you actually sow and will receive from that is aggression and violence back. Hatred leads to hatred. The only thing that solves our divisions is the love of God. The love of God. It's love that overcomes division. Years ago, back in the early 20th century, back before World War I, there were two students at Stanford University. They had run out of funding, and they thought they're going to have to do something to raise a large amount of funds, or they're going to have to drop out of school, Stanford University. Well, they found out that a famous pianist was, and it's not Carol Smucker, but a famous pianist was, was coming through, Paderewski. Okay. Polish. He was coming in the area and they managed to contact Paderewski and, and said, you know, we, we would like you to do a recital. We will set up the hall. We'll sell the tickets and do all the promotion. And that was their idea of how they're going to raise money to pay for their Stanford education. Well, Paderewski said, um, I need a guarantee of $2,000 which at that time was a huge amount of money, $2,000. They thought they could do it, right? Yeah, we can do this. So they're going to have to come up with at least $2,000 to pay the artists. They're going to have to pay the bill for the hall they're renting out and the people that are going to be staffing that. And they're also going to have to have enough money left over to pay their tuition. You're talking about having to raise a lot of money here. They didn't do so well. They didn't do so well. And it turns out that they only brought in $1,600. And his payment itself was $2,000. They're short. 
So these two students go to Paderewski and, and said, well, unfortunately, this is, this is what happened. We, we, we tried, we really, really tried, but we only raised 1600 Here is the money we have. And they wrote an IOU, right? And promised, we're not going to be in school anymore because we can't pay our tuition. We're going to work. We will send you the money as soon as we have. That was their pledge. And Paderewski took the money and pushed it back and took the note and tore it up, said, pay your bills, pay your tuition, pay what you owe other people, keep 10% of this for yourself, for whatever extra needs you might have, 10% for your, for your labor. And if there's anything left over, <coughs> that's what I will take. That's what I'll take. So they finished their education. They made it through that semester. They, they went on. With, and you know there's more to the story. Paderewski right? <laughs> <laughs> ended up becoming the prime minister of Poland. And in the aftermath of World War I, there was a lot of hunger and starvation in Poland. And there was one country that had resources that had developed a program for feeding the people who were in these war-torn countries. That's the United States. And there was a person who became a future U.S. president that was in charge of this relief organization. His name was Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover was in charge of this U.S. relief agency that had the food that Paderewski needed. And so they contacted Hoover, and Hoover sent tons of food, and, and so the, the Polish people had all this sent to them in, in their need, right? Great, great thing that we can do for others. Well, um, Hoover was traveling and ended up in Paris, and, and Paderewski wanted to, to just come and, and meet this person who had, you know, said yes and sent all these supplies and things and food to the Polish people and, and, and traveled to Paris and, and met with Hoover and and was expressing um, his appreciation for you know, what, what the U.S. had done, and, and in particular that, that Hoover had been receptive to a request and had sent all this food, and, and, um, and Hoover stopped him and says, you don't know who I am. We've, we've met each other before. <laughs> Years ago, you helped me out when I was a broke college student. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. We have things we struggle with, right? As individuals, as a faith community, as a community of Hayesville and, and Northwood, the things that we struggle with, people that we struggle with, issues that we that we disagree on, and, and political leaders that you know, of, of various strikes and influences that, that rub us the wrong way. And, and, and I think sometimes our, our first reaction to some of those people is to want to condemn them, to damn them, to wish bad things upon them or that they would evaporate and, and blow away in the wind or something, right? We're not really wishing them well. And, and in doing that, I think we're sowing our own destruction. God's word to us is that you will reap what it is that you sow. If we want wholeness, we have to offer that. If we want a world of peace, we have to offer peace to people who are not offering that to us. We have to be the ones 
that take the first step and to offer the healing that others need. We're not going to get that in return if all we do is keep condemning people and fighting with them. Somebody has to take the first step. And it's Paul's word to his community that if somebody is in error, you don't pull out a gun and shoot them. You don't condemn them. You don't drive them out. You don't beat them into submission. You don't humiliate them. You don't condemn them. But you come to them in gentleness and you love them the way that God has loved you. The story of Naaman. There's a little piece in that story that is incredibly, incredibly important, but we probably blow right past it. And we think about who Naaman is, and we think about what Elisha does, and the whole thing of Naaman lacks humility and how he actually kind of gets the cure he needs. Right? We get into that part. Naaman, he's an important person. He's the head of the army of, of the kingdom of the Aramaeans, the, the, the Assyrians, the Syrian people, who would eventually destroy the kingdom of Israel. The Aramaeans have been raiding Israel. We have the story of, of how Naaman has, has, he's got trouble. He's got this disease. Yeah, he's a great guy, but he's got trouble. And you go, well, yeah, who doesn't know about that, right? You know, we, 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 have, we accomplish things, but that doesn't mean we avoid trouble. So there's a slave girl who knows where Naaman can get help. And she tells her master, and master talks to the king, and the king says, I'll send you there. Right? And, and, and the, the story unfolds, and it, and it has a lot to do with, you know, Naaman thinks he's too good for all this. Oh, shouldn't that guy just, I mean, I'm an important guy. I should have all these chariots and horses. You know, Elisha should come out and like do some hocus pocus over me. And what do you mean go and like bathe in this? I've been to the Jordan. It's creek. <laughs> it's muddy. I'd rather wash in Tesquiti Creek than the Jordan. I'm sure it's much cleaner. And, and colder. Yeah. Okay. Well, it does cause that shriveling. That's a little troubling. But, but Naaman's got this thing about, you know, he, he, he thinks he's too good for all this. But he's been offered some. He's been offered some. Elijah knows who, knows who he is, right? He's, he's going to help him out anyway. He's going to help him out. And, and he challenges him to kind of get off his high horse and, and kind of actually humble himself to receive the healing he is seeking. Now, our story, unfortunately, cuts off too soon. Because there's some things that happen after, you know, our reading ends, but he pops out of the water and he's got skin like a freshly born baby, right? You know, he's got ivory snow skin. How, how beautiful he must look. And it stops there. But there's something else that happens here that's probably more important than the physical healing that, that he receives. He comes to understand that there's a God in his world. He comes to faith. He comes to faith. See, Elijah could have said, who, that guy? He's the enemy. Forget him. I'm not going to help him out. In fact, I'll tell him to go wash in the Jordan and nothing will happen, right? And then I'll just humiliate and embarrass him and send him out angry. Doesn't do that. And not only does Naaman, this enemy of the people, receive a blessing of, of healing, he comes to faith. He knows that there is a God in Israel. And that becomes his God. That becomes his God. 
He's going to go back to serve his king. He's going to go back to the kingdom of the Aramaeans. He's going to go back north to, to what, is, what is Syria. But, but he says, uh, basically he says, can I take a truckload of dirt with me? Because he believes, like they believed at the time, that the blessing is through the land and that God is connected to the land. And, and if he wants to worship this, this Yahweh, this God who is the true God, who healed him, who made him whole, he's going to have to have some, he's going to have to have some of the proper dirt. Right? You ever do that? Like, you know, we're moving somewhere, right? I have a Sega Palm. I don't care if they grow here or not, I'll keep it inside. Because that's the spirit of Florida coming with me. So he's got this thing where he's going to take all this stuff back and, and he's going to serve He's going to serve his king. He's going to go back into these pagan temples and, and, and he's going to be with his king offering sacrifice to a false god. And he's going to be there with him because he still has to serve his king, but he knows who the true god is now and he asks forgiveness. He asks forgiveness. He has been radically changed because somebody loved him. And what's even more amazing than, is what happens after this. That the king in Aram is wondering why it is every time he goes to attack Israel, somebody knows where he's going to be. And I think he starts suspecting that it's Naaman who's giving away his secrets. And he goes, oh, no, I'm not doing that. There's a prophet in Israel who hears your words and he's the one and so the king of Aaron says well let's go get that guy let's go get him and Elisha at that time was in apparently South Alabama because it says he was in Dothan <laughs> <coughs> he was in LA <laughs> earthquakes and all yeah, he went to get them in, in, in Dothan. And there they are in Dothan, and you know, the people in, in, in Dothan, they're they're concerned because there's this Aramean army and, and they think they're outnumbered. And, and Elijah prays that this person who's with them, oh Lord, open his eyes, and the guy can see that there's the army of God up on the hills. Turner, you told me this story about being at Lake Logan and seeing these angels up on, on the rim. It's like that. The angels, the army, and the chariots of God. Surrounding, vastly outnumbering the Aramean army. And then Elijah prays, Lord, would you blind these folks, the Aramean army? Blind them. Blind them. And God did. And then he takes all those blind Aramean soldiers and marches them from Dothan to the king in Samaria. And gets them into the king's court and in, into that city and they're surrounded. And then he restores their eyesight. And look where they are. Now they're surrounded. They're right in the middle of Samaria with all the king's forces right there. And the king says, oh good, I should slaughter them. They're defenseless now. That'd be very easy for the king to simply wipe out all these people. To, to, to not show any mercy at all. And that's what he was going to do. But Elisha said, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. Bring out water and food and feed them. Feed them. 
Is that what we think of doing to people who want to take out among us? That our proper response to people who would wish us harm is to welcome them into our home, sit down at a table with them, and feed them. Like maybe do something wild, like, hey, why don't you invite those enemies to church and invite them to the Lord's table and have a meal with them. See where this goes? This goes. You will reap what you sow. I mentioned there's a little piece of this, you know, that, that's important. Um, you know, what, what happens after this is, you know, they, they, the Arameans go back and, and it, it says in the text they didn't raid Israel again. They were done with raiding Israel. Your enemies, no longer your enemies, because you showed them mercy. You welcome them into your lives and you feed them and you show them grace and end of hostilities. How unlike the way we handle things. How unlike that. That's God's wisdom through Paul. You will reap what you sow. So be careful. Think about what it is you're sowing because that's what you're going to have returned. Now at the very beginning of this is a piece that's kind of left out that I think is really, really important piece of the story. How did Naaman find out about this prophet? A slave girl. What is her name? Didn't have a name. She's just some slave girl. And we rush right past her and we hear about kings and letters to kings and big bags of gold and silver and What's the deal with the ten sets of clothes? <laughs> Did it come with shoes and a hat? Yeah. Right? And we get bogged down and all that kind of thing and the whole resistance of washing and what. And, and, but go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Slavery. Do you think she knew anything that happened after that? Do you think she knew about, about Naaman and, and what he had gone through and, and, and the whole thing of, you know, that the Aramaeans no longer attacking the Israelites. Do you think, do you think she has a big picture? Do you think she got all that? See, because sometimes, right, in, in doing good, right, and practicing mercy and, and compassion and things like that, and, and, and sowing the good, um, we, don't, we don't see the hearts. We don't see it. It happens somewhere else. It's our faith that tells us that in sowing that good, that there's going to be a good harvest somewhere, that, that practicing love, even though we might not see it in our lifetime, and, and, and the person that we're, that we're affecting by that, we don't know necessarily what happens to them or, or how that love might show through them to bless someone else. We don't, we don't all see that. But there is this slave girl. And I think about what that might have been like for her. Because when Aramean and other people come in and raid somebody's village, it's likely that they're going to burn the place to the ground. And it's likely that they're going to put to the sword those they do not take captive. And it could very well be that this young girl saw her parents killed. And as she's running away, as her village is burning behind her and her, her parents are lying, bleeding to death, somebody grabs her and binds her and takes her away to a foreign land. <clears throat> and she has just seen 
these Aramean people do something incredibly violent and brutal to her own family. Think about it. And what would be a natural response to people who have done those things? But yet, what does she do? She sees a person in need. She sees a person in need. Someone that she and her people might see as mortal enemies. She sees this person in need. She sees this person's suffering and responds with the grace of God. Responds with the grace of God. Who knows that this person needs something and she knows where that person can get it. And simply offers, here's what I know. There's a prophet in Israel who can give you what you need. And I wonder in that moment, because the rest of the story goes on talking about Naaman and Naaman's healing. I wonder in that moment, what kind of healing that slave girl received. Of how she was blessed in that. And how when she saw Naaman come back, and Naaman was a changed man. Who Naaman knew that God that she knew. And Naaman had been humbled. If she recognized that she had truly sown the love of God. And now she can see it blossoming in her master's life. Will reap what you sow. May we be people who sow love, compassion, and mercy. May we be our better angels to a world that needs healing. Amen. Amen.